Welcome to the Bagland Podcast. This is Bagland DP, where we discuss politics, tech, and tangibles. If it's not about that, I don't want to hear it. Promoting these black-owned businesses. We have a new business that I want to promote tonight. Phil Solomon Restoration, LLC. Offering wall repair, toilet installation, cabinets, doors, sinks, painting, carpentry. Call 612-298-9852. You could also email at PhilSolomonRestoration at Outlook.com. Go to www.TheNaturalJourneyForLife.com to get your health smoothies and your recipe game. Get all your vegan recipes. Antioxidants. Go to Sizzling Wagon. That's a great food truck. Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. in downtown Minneapolis. Serving on the lockdown as well. Call 612-475-0713 for takeout. Go to beingblackandit.com, how to get into the information technology game now on Amazon Prime. Go to Ends Beauties and Supplies. The address is 615 66th Avenue, North Brooklyn Park. Open every day, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Black-owned beauty supply. That's exactly where we need to be going, especially in the state of Minnesota. Okay. And we have... Green Royal Videos, get your video animation done. Hit me up on beingblackandit.com and I'll hit you. I'll, I'll hook you up with the brother. Um, he's actually working on an animation class, so stay tuned on that. I'll be promoting that as well. Go to www.catwalkfierce.com, get your makeup done right, get your appointments done there. Go to www.accelerateclasses.com for your Excel, Python, Data Science, SQL, Aura, HTML boot camps. There is a boot camp, financial analyst boot camp right now going on. Go to McBrideSisters.com. That's a black-owned wine company. Go to www.CenterFireTacticalGear.com to get your tactical gear. Go to www.OnPointArmsLLC.com to get your firearms. Get your legal concealing carry. You're going to need it. Go to HTXTactical.com to get your custom builds. ITMasterKey.com for your online certification for IT bbombbookclub.com that is a nice uh, black owned book club go to puzzlehuddle.com black owned puzzle company the safety pouch.com this allows you to keep your wallet in no reaching distance if the race soldiers pull you over go to t uh, www.tcmobilecarwash.com appointments only call 612-800-2772 go to www sendbeats.com that's p-s-y-n beats.com audio production movie scores video games device sounds have your bmi and ascap ready to work no free beats get that cash app and paypal ready to go and go to www.dirkswipes.com that's d-e-r wipes.com to get your uh very natural disinfectant wipes you know, you got all of these companies out here that got all this stuff going on. Go to DirkSwipes.com to get your disinfectant wipes. They got good good wipes. There's something that I wanted to cover because it's been a while since I've been on. All right. And this is basically about who created the American flag. Now, it was a sister that was said to had helped, but you know, they always tried to deny black folks 
of all the patents and the stuff and all the work that we put in in the country. So there's several different articles I found about Grace Wisher. They say she was a 13 year old so-called indentured servant. And looking on this website here, it says in a famous oil painting, artist McGill McCall depicts Mary Picker Pickers Gill, the woman most known for designing the Star Spangled Banner in Baltimore to celebrate the United States victory against Great Britain during the War of 1812. And in the painting, McCall included Pickerville's daughter Caroline and one of her nieces who also helped des design the flag. Missing from the painting, however, is Grace Wisher, the 13-year-old girl who was an indentured servant to Pickers Gill and is often overlooked in the storytelling of the nation's most prominent visual emblem, which has caused much debate throughout history. Now they say very little is known about Wisher due to the nature of her indentured service to Pickersgill. I believe that she probably was a slave. They said what's been discovered is she was a free girl in Baltimore, Maryland, when her mother Jenny Wisher entered into an indentured contract with Pickersville in 1810. According to the contract, Wisher was expected to learn the art and mystery of housework and plain sewing. Something's telling me that she designed a whole damn flag because around them times, if you design something as a black person, you likely wouldn't get the credit, but they say she was free. According to the article. Now, Amanda Shores Davis, the executive director of the Star Spangled Flag House in Baltimore, says it is speculated that Wisher's mother entered her into the contract in an effort for her to learn a skill that she might not have been able to teach her herself. Another unnamed enslaved woman has also been speculated to have assisted with the Star Spangled Banner. So this sounds like to me that it was some sisters that put in the work and they really don't want to give them much shine. And there's really not a lot of information they want to really present to them. That's what that sounds like to me. There's another article that I found. And this here was by the National Museum of American History by Helen Yoon and Asantua Boqua. Now this article came out in the year of our Lord, May 30th, 2014. And it also said again that Mary Pickard's Gill is often credited with sewing the Star Spangled Banner, which flew over Fort McHenry in Maryland and inspired Francis Scott Key to write our national anthem. Now remember that national anthem is a white supremacist anthem. They took out the words that talked about making sure that black folks was to be mistreated and not receive any constructive help, AKA slavery. You see, but they say uh, in this article as well, that little was known of Grace Wisher and that she was just a 13 year old girl that helped make the flag. Yet another testament to the deeply rooted yet oft unmentioned contributions of black folks at the very core of the country. Something's telling me again, they kept her out because she put in that work. 
Now, since indenture was a waning practice in early 19th century Baltimore, remember, Baltimore, D.C., Maryland, that's where all the black folks that was enslaved that got brought over on their boats, they were sold in, from the north to the south. So Maryland, D.C., all of them, all of those states supported slavery. They made money off of slavery, so we can't forget that. Now it says the waning practice in early 19th century Baltimore, although Maryland law did not allow for courts to take away children of black folks who were considered lazy, indolent, and worthless free Negroes to bind the youngsters into apprenticeship. Orphans usually met a similar fate. So the size of the Star Spangled Banner and its six week timeline for completion would have necessitated many people working on a flag. So there was a, there was an, and they say again, there was an enslaved person whose name do, we do not know. So they purposely kept Grace Wisher out of the picture. They purposely did that. We know that, but let's put some extra respect on her name. Here's another article I found called America Comes Alive. Let's see if we can glean some information from that. I'm not seeing too much information. It says that they delivered a flag six weeks. Documentation of the lives of black folks has usually not been considered important. Like I said before, what historians do know about Grace Wisher is she was the daughter of a mother to support her, support her children. So she placed Grace at age 10 in an apprenticeship with Pickers Guild. And in return for teaching Grace a trade, Pickers Guild gained a servant for six years. That's what they say. Interesting in this same article, it says in 2008, following an election of Barack Obama, Nancy Pelosi said the Capitol was built by slaves. Good statement, Nancy. Now, what is your intention on paying these former slaves for what they, their families and what their ancestors built? How about that? See, these Democrats, they want to use all this symbolic stuff, of course. Hold on, there's another article here. You know, I like to have three to five different sources. Now, this is from the National Historic Trail. Yep, Wisher entered a six-year contract with Pickers Gill in the year of our Lord, January 6th, 1810, to learn the art and mystery of housework and plain sewing. They say she, believed to be, she was believed to be uh, 10 years old. Her mother signed a contract. I bet there's all kinds of him hidden information about this somewhere. I bet you there's some information probably where she just probably designed half of that damn flag. Somewhere in some book that we won't know about. One thing I wanted to bring up though, this is interesting. Speaking of the speaking of America, speaking of the White House, Donald J with the two pages signed an executive order on the White House White House Hispanic Prosperity Initiative. Prosperity, that means tangibles. You remember those old executive orders that I mentioned before in a couple episodes back? See, Pelosi talking about, well, the former slaves, you know, you know, niggas built this shit. Niggas built all of this shit, but uh we don't really have any executive orders or no tangibles for black folks. 
Now, they said Hispanics are the nation's youngest major racial or ethnic group. I'm looking at this executive order. I'm reading it word for word. Let's skim down here. We ain't going to read the whole thing, but I'm looking at this right here. It talks about nothing but tangibles, policies for American prosperity. They're talking about giving them, getting them a bag, a commission for the Secretary of Commerce, Secretary of Labor, Housing, Urban Development. Oh, then they bring up the Higher Education Act of 1965. Something that the former slaves fought for, but ain't being received. See, and they said this order supersedes Executive Order 13555 of October 19, 2010. Signed Donald J. with the page, July 9, 2020. See, we are getting, we're, we're in a time and a place where we're experiencing domestic ambush lynchings left and right being denied positions being denied contracts i mean look at this here here's another article that came out on june 30th from heavy brother by the name of elijah weatherspoon now you got a whole bunch of explaining this brother was out here in a trip with some a whole bunch of his white friends likely in south carolina and he went missing on a boat on the cooper river in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina on June 25th, Thursday. The Coast Guard looked for him on Friday night, they said, searching 250 miles. Then they get suspended to search. They were searching for him. Then they found him on Sullivan's Island. The article's bl blanked out right here. I'm trying to move this out the way but they found him and his body was found by people on the beach not by rescue 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 uh not by the rescue team do you remember that alfred wright case down there in uh jasper texas i was talking about i always bring that up it seems like the people that end up finding these niggas is family members other people it's not usually the people that were their job is to find them it's not the search team it's usually not the police family attorney javaron buckley said that the body was found by people on the beach not by rescue crews he said people called him about finding the body when the police couldn't take their information think about that Now they said the cause of death is not known. Pending awaiting autopsy. See, they're waiting to try to explain. People are probably staying on cold. It says the people that were on the boat, it could have been seven or nine people. They interviewed nine people. The South Carolina Department of Natural Resources said a witness told them that Weatherspoon had jumped off the boat and never resurfaced. Another witness said they made contact with him. It was not clear what made contact mean or what happened immediately before Weatherspoon was in the water. Another person tried to say, well, we, we jumped in to try to help him. You see what I mean? Then the DNR spokesman said, oh, he started kind of explaining, you know, they're staying on cold. 
the family and the, and, uh, the family's attorney said they've been told conflicting stories about what happened. You see what I mean? People said, oh, he fell off the boat. He hit his head on a rock. He fell off the boat and his friend tried to save him and couldn't. He jumped off the boat himself and he refused to get in, to, uh, get, to get back in and drown. And those are some of the circumstances. They said that's just some of the circumstances his family's been told. So everybody, what they're doing is, here's my suspicion. I think he was hanging out with a bunch of white folks. That's what I think hap happened. And they basically use all these broad and ambiguous explaining. So couldn't nobody really get no, oh, they pulled the sessions. I don't recall. It's all seven of y'all on that damn boat, but can't nobody get the story straight. So there was an online petition that was made so this brother could get some justice. And the online petition said there's been several conflicting stories given to the police on what happened. Some say he decided to flip off the boat along with another and a good Samaritan could only save one. But then they said the boat was docked and he jumped off but couldn't come back due to inability to swim, yet he was an experienced swimmer. So if you were an experienced swimmer, why would you need anybody to help you if you jumped off the boat? That doesn't make sense, but I don't know. Here's another interesting case. Now this brother was going around making sure that he was exposing pedophiles. Now he was found hanging from a tree. He was the pastor's adopted son. Activists demand a full investigation into the death of a white New Jersey's pastor's adopted black son found hanging from a tree. Possible murder motives, authorities say. They're still investigating after the medical examiner ruled the death to suicide. Here we go again. The medical examiner's ruined this to suicide. Morris County Prosecutor's Office says Amani Caldea of Long Valley was identified after his body was found in the Sugarloaf section of Morris County Park on June 28th. A park visitor spotted his body at about 2.47 p.m. to alert them of the death. He was known as a gifted athlete and was also a member of the anti-pedophile group called Pedo Got Caught, which catfishes and exposes child predators, similar to catch a predator. So he was the adopted son of the senior pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church. You see, now they adopted him from Ethiopia at the age of five. Remember, a lot of these white couples go to these African countries and be adopting these niggas. I don't know if his pops had anything to do with it. I don't think so. I mean, I couldn't see from the looks at it. I haven't got done with this article. We gonna keep going on, but just right off bat, when they start talking about suicide and that this brother was going around exposing pedophiles, that's a dangerous game. You gotta look at what happened to Epstein. Gotta look at what happened to, you know, his homegirl locked up right now. You gotta look how they moved her from one prison to another. You start exposing these folks and you start getting into sticky situations. I think his, of course, his dad knew what he was doing. 
but they said three days after Kai D's body was found, Morris County Prosecutor Frederick M. Knapp released a statement explaining that the Morris County Medical Examiner determined the manner of death as suicide. There's no cause to believe there's any criminality involved. That, that doesn't, it just doesn't add up. If this brother had, he probably had a blood pact with himself to basically said, I'm about to catch these bastards. I'm about to expose them. Now, Kai Dia's family has accepted his death as a suicide and noted it in his obituary. Hmm. That's very interesting. But they said that he had dreams of pursuing a career in the FBI or the CIA and had completed basic training as a military police officer in the U.S. Army Reserves in fe February. This is very strange. They say he was looking ahead to attending the James Madison University in the fall and he dreamed about a family of his own. That's very strange. He had all these big plans. Tiana Kimbrough, the founder of Black Lives Matter Morristown, said in a statement that while Kaidea could have indeed taken his own life, she was concerned about how quickly his death was ruled a suicide without a complete investigation. See, that's what they're doing with all of these brothers that's found Hank. I think they caught him slipping. He's like, all right, this, this, that dude, this is that Negro that's out here exposing pedophiles. That's what I think happened. Now, Tiana said that his work exposing pedophiles could have exposed them to retaliation. Throughout his work, they have exposed at least 30 pedophiles in Morris County and other surrounding areas. This work has led to multiple arrests, including arrests of the mayor of Netcong's son and a race soldier that was actively serving on the police force, which may demonstrate significant evidence of individuals who motive to harm him. There you go. I don't know what his family's talking about. I was gonna try to be nice, but you know what? We got to speak truth to power tonight. That don't really add up. So you're telling me that he exposed a mayor and an officer that got arrested too? Now, Kimbrough said that Kaidea's work to expose sexual predators was brave but dangerous. She contends that it left him vulnerable to retaliation from those criminals. And she said, despite pros Prosecutor Knapp's assertion that there's no cause to believe that there's any criminality involved in his death by hanging, Amani's work in the community sheds light on a possible motive to kill and silence him. Now, a petition called authorities to reopen the investigation. See, when you say re when you say investigation, and then you leave it to the federality, the Fettuccine Alfredos, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll pull a bubble. What was that brother down in NASCAR? They found a noose up in there. Talking about, well, uh, there's nothing to be alarmed. Basically, they get swept it under the rug. Let's go back to the toolbox. Let's go back to the brother that was out here in Stillwater. They found a toolbox, found a noose in his toolbox. That wasn't investigated. Everybody told him, oh, this is a learning experience. See, these kind of things are happening to black folk here in the Western Hemisphere. And you got folks running around here talking about minorities, LGBT, people of color, women's groups, all this bullshit. And we're the ones that end up getting the least constructive help. So when you really look at that, now this statement I'm making is either true or false. 
if people are saying, well, black lives matter, who do they matter to? If you saying, well, black lives matter, what is your stance on reparations, financial reparations, criminal injustice, or should I say plantation industrial complex reparations, psychological reparations, government contracts. I mean, cut the check all across the board, race soldiers, district attorneys, judges going to jail, life sentences or death penalty for domestic ambush assaults and promoting that advocating for it and signing off for it. These no knock warrants. See, you can't talk about justice for Brianna, Brianna Taylor. And then you don't want reparations for the descendants of the slaves. You full of shit. You really don't give a damn about black folk. See white supremacy has so many benefits though. Oh man. Benefits, benefits, benefits. Let me, let me go back on something here. Now, before we go to the next subject, I want to, I want to circle back around and talk about how you had Miss Wisher that designed the flag, but then also you had Lewis Latimer. In 1874, he co-patented an improved toilet system for railroad cars called the Water Closet for Railroad Cars, the U.S. Patent 147-363. Now, in 1876, Alexander Graham Bell employed Latimer, then a draftman of Bell's patent law firm, to draft the necessary drawings required to receive a patent for Bell's telephone. So if you made the draft, that means you were the one that created it. You designed it. So if he was working with Thomas Edison, nine times out of 10, Lewis Latimer probably made, he probably made him. He probably was the one that came up with all the shit. See? We designed all of this stuff. We getting found in trees and you telling us we don't deserve reparations. You're telling us that the LGBT 5,000 and immigrants have been here five minutes deserve more constructive help than the former slaves. That's not fair. That's not fair at all. It's not morally right. See, when you start asking these questions, you get a lot of deflection. You get the mirror mirror on the wall. You get you dig. You get the mirror mirror on the wall treatment. See, the white supremacists, they don't like to answer direct questions. They don't volunteer constructive information. If you guys ever notice at work, you recommend something. Have you ever been a black person where you recommend something at work and then your coworkers act like you didn't say it? Have you ever had that situation happen to you? Then when you bring it up in front of a supervisor or the superior advisor, what ends up happening is, oh, well, you know, Bob, that was a Jerome. That was a great idea, Jerome. We should use that. And then the other co-workers, they kind of start agreeing. See, the most powerful white person in the room, once they take your side of the argument, everybody else tries to so-called fall in line. But then you may, may have some that may blow back a little bit. So don't be surprised. That's how the system of racism and white supremacy works. Anytime you're working have a solution that works and you get denied, suspect that that is at play. And the Sambos and the Coons won't suspect it 
and if they do they will ignore it and if butter biscuits is involved they will receive menial social acceptance and they'll be happy about it so i've been hearing a lot online niggas been getting the morgan freeman mentality well if you want racism to end stop talking about it that's like you tell somebody telling you well you know what we want sexual assault to stop happening to women around the world so let's just stop talking about it that's that type of logic we're not gonna we don't really want to hear you negroes complain about what's going on we matter of fact just just take the mistreatment and be quiet but that's not what this episode's about this is about the five finger discount this is about the five finger discount you dig One of my folks went over and they got some firearm training from Crow River Firearms Training. It's an online firearms training. Now, it's not black-owned, but he seemed like he was treated well. And it makes me think about the ATL marks on the Klan's headquarters in Stone Mountain. See, the white supremacists, they got upset. Not because it's just that they're black. When them brothers went out there, they were, people were angry because they were doing it and that it set, it set a precedence for basically telling black folks, hey, look, you're black. You're not supposed to do that. How dare you? You Negroes don't, aren't supposed to show up with weapons. That's suited for us. Y'all to check out www.mysisters, uh, what is it? Mysisterskeeperdefense.com www.mysisterskeeperdefense.com it's a sister that has a great business she does firearm training i seen a video online where redstone firearms was under attack we got to support them redstone firearms in california you know a lot of times when black folks start doing well you start getting these agent saboteurs you start getting black folks you start getting folks that start trying to figure out a way to undermine what black folks is doing these brothers got a beautiful business they sell firearms they do firearm training out there in california i seen a picture of some brothers that was they were teaching them very constructive ways how to build their their ars i might want to go to an ar class build me an ar it's a beautiful thing but the person that owned the business what he started doing is he started complaining about black folks being outside and doing all that bullshit angry now they paying their rent but the person that owns the property want to give them a hard time that, that that's what they want to do because they're trying to figure out ways to prevent black folks from being able to protect themselves that's exactly what happened so real quick now, like I said, going back to that brother that was found hung, I think they're catching these brothers slipping, and I, I'm. That's what I think happened. That's what I really believe. Now I want to go back into this article here, or actually go into the article here. Let's get this going. What is this here? Let's get this going here. All right. 
Now we're going to talk about that one later. Stand your ground. Now, this is an article from NPR where it says stand your ground laws complicate matters for black gun owners. Now, this is from February 27, 2017. Now, it says here, Harvard historian Caroline Light grew up with guns. Her family lived in southwestern Virginia and her parents regularly enjoyed hunting and shooting clay targets. It says they use guns on a recreational basis. Yet that's precisely what millions of Americans are doing, arming themselves with guns on the off chance that they will need them. Okay. Now the law's premise stems from a kill or be killed philosophy, Light says, that has become an ideology and ideal that's been rapidly spreading throughout the United States for a while. Now Light's new book, Stand Your Ground, A History of America's Love Affair with Lethal Self-Defense, looks at how Stand Your Ground descended from the 17th century. Now we gotta keep it in context where black folks were not allowed to keep weapons during during times in history. Okay. Now the so-called castle doctrine decreed that a man, women, and children were considered property then, had the right to protect himself if an intruder breached the privacy of his home. Now that doctrine would later be applied in the English colonies across the sea, even before there was a United States. But it wasn't for everyone. From this country's earliest beginnings, Light says, the right to kill a dangerous intruder or enemy was reserved for white property-owning males. So settlers could kill native people who objected to the appropriation of their lands, but they faced little of any retribution. Let's go into the Nick Cannon situation real quick. When they try to say he was anti-Semitic and all this type of stuff, he's relegating to history. Was he telling truth or lies? I'm telling you right here, the article says that it was only reserved for white property owning males. So when they start talking about barbarism, is that barbarism? Killing native people who objected to the appropriation of their lands and facing little, if any retribution, is that barbaric? Is that savage? I'm asking a question. If this is your history and own it, If you had to get reformed by the Moors, then own it. It says Native Americans who wanted to defend their homes from colonization had no legal grounds to stand on, nor did slaves or freedmen. During and well after the Civil War, Stand Your Ground was used to protect white men's homes and possessions, including wives and daughters from the most imaginary threat of non-white predators. Many former Confederate states did not allow black guns to own guns for decades. So that HK Edgerton, that coon ass nigga that was down there talking about, well, you know, the, the, you know, the Confederate soldiers gave up some of their pay, nigga. Why didn't you tell them about the fact that black folks couldn't own guns for decades? That was the law under the system of racism, white supremacy. Stop playing, nigga. Quit playing. Now, despite that, many black households kept them quietly for hunting and for protection from white vigilantes. You dig? You see? Now, during the civil rights movement, many leaders, especially those in isolated rural areas, kept guns to protect their families. 
In places where guns were legal, some black folks decided to eventually test the system. So the Black Panther Party, they monitored the police, they were armed. So when you get some of these old plantation sambo ass, good trouble ass niggas that'll tell you, man, nigga, it was, it was some black folks that were standing up. The Black Panther Party, the Deacons of Defense, these were people that were standing up that they weren't, it wasn't just non-violent, not at all. You had all different types of sides of black folks that was fighting against white supremacy. All the scared niggas was, was talking against the black, black, black Panther Party. They the same niggas now talking about, well, just get your ass whooping, thank the police. Yeah, them niggas, they the same people. The Panthers pushed the envelope, carried open, open carry guns in the California state capitol in 1967. You know what I'm saying? Now, armed black folks, whether during construction or 150 years later, they tend to get attention. And the attention they got. Now, a Philadelphia activist, Mage Tory, the founder of Black Guns Matter, sees no issue there. So he travels through inner city neighborhoods teaching gun safety and second amendment rights to people whose streets are often plagued by violence. So, Tory says he's armed himself because I'm not gonna be anybody's hashtag. I'm gonna exercise my human right to defend myself and I'm not gonna be a victim to somebody that doesn't wanna respect my human rights. See, we're still in the Dred Scott mode. We're still in that mode right now. We're still in a position in America where we're not being looked at as human beings. And now we have black children that are being looked at as adults. So when you got these ambush attacks on black children and you have these white guys chasing young black children around with knives and weapons and, and stuff like that, it comes from that. So when you really look at, now it says there's a belief that seems to be gaining traction. According to 2014 Pew Research study, the number of black folks who believe gun ownership does more to protect people than endanger them doubled in two years. You see what I mean? So, and it even urges members to exercise their rights to keep the thugs, gangbangers, illegal immigrants, and terrorists at bay the NRA brought on its outreach to ethnic communities. One of its spokesmen is lawyer and gun rights activist Coleon Knorr, who has become well known for his appearances on the NRA TV. You know, they gave Killer Mike a lot of hell for going on there. You know, they basically told him he couldn't go on there. And that's one thing that the liberal left arm of racism, white supremacy loves to do is tell you what you can do. And Negro, you can't do this and you can't do that. I watched this show a couple times. It had some interesting weapons on it, you know, but either way, there's been some cases where stand your ground did not, it was one, it was one sister that tried to, you know, use stand your ground. It didn't work for her. That stand your ground didn't work for her. She ended up getting some time. I think she ended up getting her sentence commuted or they let her go. I don't know. I don't remember what happened. This was in Florida. Here, there's another article here. 
where it talks about conventional wisdom holds peaceful and nonviolent change is the ultimate best interest of a social system. Seldom is the use of force seen as socially productive. By and large, that is true. Regardless of the causes, very few civilizations have survived cataclysmic violent internal upheavals of the long-term decay of their institutions of social control. Now, this was an article by Daruba bin Wahad. It's called Toward Rethinking Self-Defense in a Racist Culture. Now, he was falsely imprisoned for 19 years. And he wrote this essay. Y'all should ch check this out online. I'm not going to read everything. But basically he says it is estimated by some historians that over 20 million natives were killed by European settlers of the Western Hemisphere between the 15th and 19th centuries and that over 50 million Africans died in the Middle Passage between Africa and, Amer and, the, and Americas in the period between the 16th and 19th century. In the early 20th century, the projection of U.S. power into Central America, the Caribbean, and elsewhere proceeded in the wake of gunboats or relied upon the bayonets of U.S. Marines. Indeed, the U.S. has invaded Central America over two dozen times in the last century and has annexed territories it seized from other European colonial powers defeated in just wars. When we witness the countless incidents of racist police brutality and murder that are an everyday feature of the black experience in the U.S. or the use of U.S. military forces in Nicaragua, Grenada, Panama, and the Persian Gulf, it is evident that there is a double standard when it comes to the use of violence, one standard for Europeans and, one, and another for people of color. This is a very interesting article. I'm not going to read it all, but here's another article here by the Carolinian. It says African-Americans in the Second Amendment, the need for black, for black armed self-defense. And it says black folks has always struggled for equality under the law, and it's especially true when it comes to the right to bear arms. The pre-Civil War slave codes of many southern states completely banned black people from owning firearms. Now, that's basically to keep you at bay where you're not able to defend yourself. And it's the same thing that the liberal left arm of, of, of white supremacy always talks about. Well, we need to keep guns out of black folks' hands. Now, Colony Sucks Virginia prohibited free black people from owning weapons. And Florida created an act to govern patrols that allow white citizens to enter the homes of black people and confiscate any weapons they found. So if they could do that, what else can they do? Just like when you seen that lady that pulled out that weapon on them sisters, they could deputize themselves to basically pull an ambush lynching right in front of you. And then they have the they have the prosecutor and the judge on cold to make sure she walks free. They want to have a bunch of Amber Geigers walking around. They don't want them to go to jail. Now, that's a violation of the Fourth Amendment. Now, black people were also prohibited by, from joining militias, which was the entire purpose of the Second Amendment. Now, this was to prevent a possible slave rebellion. Now, after the Civil War, the black holes were enacted and were used to strictly prohibit black gun ownership. Now, this trend continued into the 20th century when those in power enacted some of the most blatantly discriminatory discriminatory gun control laws. Now, the most of the most obvious example is the 67 Mulford Act. Now, in 66, the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense was created to protect Oakland's black community from repeated harassment and, har harassment and violence perpetuated by the local race soldiers. 
So the group acted as an armed oversight committee, stopping the police from making illegal arrests. And Huey P. Newton, he carried around a law book to inform officers of the laws that they were violating. So, you know, a lot of these race soldiers, some of them don't even know the law. And those that do know the law use the law against us. So that really pissed off Don Mulford. He was a GOP assemblyman who represented Oakland. And in 67, you know, he had proposed a law to prohibit California, Californians from openly carrying firearms. Now, in response to that, the Panthers traveled to the Capitol building and protested. They had them poles out. You see? Now, they were eventually forced by the police to leave the premises. And shortly after that protest, they were arrested on charges of conspiracy to disrupt a legislative session. So they just gave a I'm white and I say so statement. That was the I'm white and I say so charge. So the Mulford Act was passed with the full support of the NRA and, he, and was eventually signed by Ronald Reagan, out of all people. You see what I mean? Now, Philando's rights were, his Second Amendment rights were ignored by the police. That race soldier killed him after he told him that he had a license to carry. You dig? So, right now, if you look at these Kins and these Karens, we're in the five-finger discount phase. We're in the phase where black folks are at the boiling point and everyone knows this Minneapolis turned up it was an unprecedented turn up if we would have if, if if Minneapolis wouldn't have turned up and wouldn't have sacked the precincts and if they wouldn't have turned up to the max the rest of the world wouldn't have would have not responded if the state of Minnesota didn't turn up the rest of the world would have not responded the way they did so that kind of gave a little bit of, they gave some respect. They said, okay, y'all are on board. We not gonna turn up if y'all ain't gonna turn up, but y'all turned up to the max. I seen an article the other day where they said Minneapolis turned up so much that it was like the, they compared it to the second or the third uh, amount of property damage compared to like the Watts riots. You know, uh, in 90, it was in 92. I mean, they really tell, tell, tell some shit up. What, what is a black life worth? That's what America has to determine. What is a black life worth? Because niggas could do this shit all day. See, we're not allowed to defend ourselves from tyranny as the founding fathers once did. And we were not allowed to open carry our firearms such as the alt-right is allowed to do. were also allowed to be arrested for legally possessing a firearm and this is because black folks have never been seen as responsible gun owners instead we're seen as an armed suspect even when we are suspected of committing a crime the crime is your black uniform that's what the crime is you dig so that's something to keep in mind. And as we go into these militaries, we're still fighting the Dred Scott Act. If you look at what happened to these black U.S. Army cadets from the business insider, I looked at this article. 
Black U.S. Army cadets say they were called the N-word and shunned for reporting discrimination at West Point. Several black cadets at the United States Military Academy of West Point detailed their experience with racially charged incidents during their tenure at the renowned institution. So it makes you kind of wonder, why do we, why do we even really want to deal? Why do we even want to deal with that? Why do we want to deal with these institutions? One brother said he was called a nigger during his freshman year at West Point. Black cadets at the United States Military Academy of West Point said they were subjected to racially charged harassment and weren't taken seriously when they reported it to the authorities at the renowned institution. They had a 40-page policy proposal to address the institution's failings and uprooting racism to saturate its history. Now, those were all the testimonies they gave. And they wanted to remove honors for Confederate soldiers written by a group of U.S. Army officers which graduated from West Point. Now, nine former West Point cadets submitted a June 25 letter to the Academy warning that it has not taken the necessary strides to build an inclusive environment. And really what they're telling you is we don't want you Negroes around. We're not interested in having you Negroes around. One, conform, one former cadet outlined three core failings at West Point, the continued presence of systemic racism and the absence of anti-racism education and anti-racist space. So when they say the absence of anti-racism education, that goes back to that police training garbage. You can't train a white supremacist. He was born and bred for it. You're going to sit him down and try to train him to tell him that he ain't supposed to be upholding racism and white supremacy like his forefathers taught him now the military academy they said they got several symbols such as robert e lee and all of that and speaking of the confederacy there's another article i want to bring up and i think i might talk about that later i should pull it up now to be quite honest i should pull it up now but let, let's keep going on this article real quick. The first proposal, Simone Askew, he graduated in 2018. He recounted the incident two weeks after she was selected to become the first captain. The senior leader representing her entire cadet class, Askew wrote, this is her name, Simone Askew, wrote she found a note under the door to her room that included a picture of her holding a rifle, photoshopped with a monkey's face. Now, she says, though I was aware of the historical precedence of portraying black people's monkeys, I wondered if the depiction suggested something deeper about my leadership, she wrote. Racing through my mind were all the presentations and conversations that I had given in the past 14 days as first captain and whether I had made any mistakes. She said this self-interrogation fueled me in a paralyzing fear. Then another person said he was called a nigger during his freshman year at West Point. He was told that I was going to rob someone because he was black. A student made a noose and put it on his black uh, roommate's death as a joke. Remember, the Klan started as a joke. Jumping Jim Crow, that song was a joke at first. Then he said he was called white because he spoke intelligently. 
which is built on the assumption that white people speak better than black folks. And one day, he sat with a group of white males in company during dinner, and Martin Luther King Jr. Day was coming up, and one of them mentioned how his teacher made him feel guilty about being white because of the oppression their ancestors put upon minority Americans for hundreds of years. Now, notice that word minority Americans. Minorities were not subject to the same thing that black folks were subject to. They were not. Then the cadet explained how he should not feel guilty because he was not the one that caused the pain. You see? But this is what happens when we go into these institutions. And it's also important that we're not surprised. It's very important that we're not surprised, okay? We don't really we don't really need to be surprised about this. Another case I seen that was interesting was about Costco penalizing workers for wearing Black Lives Matter masks. Now I was in Costco the other day. I was gonna do a live and ask some people to give me a call. I was gonna say, hey, is anybody a Costco member that has experienced this at all? Is there anybody that has experienced this statement that is made? You know? And it says that there was details where multiple instances of employees being selected, selectively targeted or sent home for wearing the Black Lives Matter. In response to backlash from employers who spoke out about the treatment, CEO Craig Jelinek went to Louisville on Thursday to discuss the issue with workers. Now he denied the workers the ability to wear Black Lives Matter attire in the workplace because he would also have to allow the slogan such as All Lives Matter. See? Now, this is quoting Louisville Costco cashier Nico Bracy, writing in a resignation letter. As a citizen of the United States of America, I have a right to dedicate my time, my labor, and my talents to a company that believes I am essential enough to risk my life, but not essential enough to stand against my death. You dig? So that's what they say is going on in terms of Black Lives Matter. By the way, here's an article that just came out here. You know I got to get into this. Oh, we got to talk about this tonight. Veteran activists have called out Black Lives Matter as a tool of the do-nothing Democrats from day one, but agenda-driven millions of dollars drown, drown out the grassroots. Now, I'm looking at this right here. Some of this got cut off, but it says, the foundation's social justice activism of Black Lives Matter is using black pain to cash in on white liberal guilt. Dividing American society in pursuit of a democratic political agenda. St. Louis activist Nyota Urua told RT. Now, Urua founded her website, HandsUpDon'tShoot.com. Let me go to this website and see if, 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 it, if 
it opens up because I tried to go to it before. Controlling our own narrative since Ferguson. Yep, handsupdon'tshoot.com. You got Darren Seal speaking on Black Lives Matter. Y'all should go to handsupdon'tshoot.com and you will see more information about the Black Lives Matter organization, aka LGBT front group, undermined foundational black Americans down in Ferguson. Now, Nyota Uhura founded the handsupdon'tshoot.com in August 2014 to counter false narratives coming out of the St. Louis suburb of Ferguson following the police shooting of Mike Brown. Having witnessed Black Lives Matter rise up close as the nascent organization swooped into Ferguson amid the calls for justice triggered by Brown's killing, methodically co-opting the genuine protest energy while ignoring or even obstructing those protesters' demands, Uhura has fought to warn others of what the organization really represents, leveraging black activism into a boost for the Democratic Party. And if you look at what's going on right now, they're talking about sexual interracial access, sexual orientation access. They start throwing the black flag with the LGBT flag up. Now it says here, the science of co-opting movements. This is very important, people. There's a science behind it. Plucking a few Ferguson residents from the streets for a veneer of local credibility, Black Lives Matter raised 33 tickets, that's $33 million on the back of Brown's death. Money Uhura says her community never saw. I believe that. That's usually how it works. They did the same thing with the civil rights niggas. They co-opted that, COINTELPRO, all of that. Now, six years later, Black St. Louis remains poor and plagued with violence. Remember last time, I always stay on this. What's going on with Ferguson? What's going on with St. Louis? I want people to let me know on the Bagland podcast. Where is St. Louis? Is St. Louis in a better position or is it in a worser position? Is St. Louis and Ferguson in a better position post Mike Brown's lynching or a worser position? It's a very simple question to answer. You dig? Six years later, black St. Louis remains poor and plagued with violence while Black Lives Matter has found a new community to exploit. Uhura says they overshadow the work of the grassroots, then they insert themselves as leaders and they go out in the media and claim to be leading these movements. Now, outlining the methodology of Black Lives Matter and other astroturf movements, she added that sometimes they literally just showed up at a protest they didn't plan and did a news conference. Now, this is a tra tradition she traces back to white liberals hijacking of the 1963 March on Washington. If you guys go to Dr. Boyce Watkins video where he hosts those weekly um, Zoom conferences with Dr. Claude Anderson, you'll see how Dr. Claude Anderson breaks down how the white liberals was telling Martin Luther King and telling black folks, well, you know, and speaking of anti-Semitism. It was liberals and it was the Jewish folk that was basically telling black folks, hey, you can't talk about black economics, black empowerment in that measure. You got to talk about colder ice. 
you got to talk about going to this nice hotel and getting you a Becky and all of that. He broke that down. Y'all got to look at those five to last seven Dr. Claude Anderson interviews with Dr. Boyce Watkins. We owe Dr. Claude Anderson our lives for staying on cold and trying to get reparations for us 40 years plus. You dig? Now, the tradition has been boiled down to a science, she says, with organizations like Netroots turning out phony activists with the ruthless efficiency of an assembly line. Quote, Netroots is where activists go to audition to be puppets of the Democrats, special interests in white elite nonprofits, she continued. It happens so fast that all the pieces are in place before you even have a chance to know what hit you, before you even know it, you're watching the news and they've co-opted your movement. Now, white liberal and progressive groups use the energy of our movement to push their agenda in Black Lives Matter case, weaponizing the concept of intersectionality, which is trash, to broaden the movement's scope from race to feminism, immigrant rights, LGBT issues, and other causes that directly affect white people. Listen, y'all, listen, y'all, when I was working in corporate America, that was one of the main things. When they start talking about Black Lives Matter and they support black folks, they start talking about intersectionality, immigrants, and LGBT. They start trying to compare the things that our ancestors did to what they're doing, which is nothing. They haven't fought like our people have fought. Now, she says in order to mobilize people, they need those black faces out front because what they're going to, what are they going to do look like protesting? Just in terms of optics, it'll look like a Klan rally. So really what you have in these protests, that's why when people are talking about, man, Badland DP, you coming over here on Lake Street to protest? Nigga, I ain't coming out there. No. I'm not about to be blending in with the white supremacists. I'm going to have to come and do something else. You dig? And some of the things that you may have to do, you don't talk you don't talk about that on the phone. You don't have these conversations in front of white folk. Whatever that may be, and I'm not making no assumptions or no statements on that. But there's certain things that don't need no discussion. There's certain things you don't even speak about. If that's what we doing. You don't speak about those things. So no, I'm not about to be coming out here drinking beers and see a lot of those protests, people were meeting up so they could see who they could sleep with. Niggas was making albums. Niggas was, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot of stuff that goes on in some of these protests where it turns out to be a damn party. And then they, they missed the point. And then that now they start talking about minorities and immigrants. So when she says it'll look like a Klan rally, basically you really have a Klan rally disguised. You have the wolf in the sheep's clothing, or should I say a wolf in the snake's clothing? See, when you have a pet snake, you don't know if it'll bite you or not. Sometimes it'll be cool. You may have a Python or whatever the case may be. It probably won't bite you, but you don't know that. So you have a snake in a boa constrictor's clothing. You see what I'm saying? And that's what your liberal left arm of racism or white supremacy tries to try to go off of. Well, we're just harmless. We just want to break our, we just want somebody to bust our back open. Let's talk about intersectionality and sexual access, feminism. Um, let's pull a Susan B. Anthony on your ass. That's what they try to do. 
Now, in the article, it says she has a point. 17% of last month's protesters were black, according to a Pew Research poll published last week, a statistic the organization's foes are unlikely to let it forget. The Cincinnati, the Cincinnati chapter also says the Black Lives Matter 2015 conference in Cleveland, where 12-year-old Tamir Rice had just been gunned down by a cop for holding a toy gun, focused almost exclusively on black transgender rights, further dividing a suffering community. Now, this brother was murdered, ambushed, and lynched. That's why I go hard on Sambo's, y'all. Y'all wonder why I go, well, we need to all stick together and we need to all. No, we don't need to stick together. We don't need to stick together at all. If you are a Sambo or a traitor and you doing this type of shit, if you a black person talking about transgender rights and, and this brother, this 12 year old brother just got ambushed and killed by the police right when they po hopped out the car and you talking about sexual access and sexual rights, we don't need to stick together. We need to be away from you as far as you can go because what you're saying is, if you could get you a white man to come and bust your back up in an alley or some bullshit because you just want some interracial sex, we don't really need to be around you at all. You, We ain't speaking the same language. This is a black boy that was, was murdered. He was ambushed and lynched. He didn't know he was going to die. They showed up and blew him away. And you talking about who you could sleep with? We ain't speaking the same language. We don't need to do anything together. You dig? George Soros just talking about he wrote a check for two two hundred twenty-five million. You already know he's putting his skin in the game. He's trying to do some some more intentional shit. It says they mentioned something about Sean King is legendary about making large sums of money raised for the movement disappear that the Daily Beast wrote about it. King recently announced a Truth, Justice, and Reconciliation Commission in conjunction with the three of the same progressive prosecutors that activists like Uhura have denounced for failing to police the police. I don't know much about King, but like I say, any any mainstream activist on the mainstream, I got they're questionable to me. I don't know much about King, so I really can't speak on that just yet. Now, like all controlled opposition movements, one of Black Lives Matter primary functions is to derail meaningful change, Uhura explained. They always march us back into the voting booth. Wheel Hill movement activists consistently divert money and energy into electing Democratic Party candidates or progressive prosecutors, none of whom hold police accountable when they murder innocent black men, whether it's in Ferguson, LA, or New York. See, that's why we need a code. What goes on in New York goes on in Minneapolis. What goes on in Minneapolis goes on in L.A. What goes on in New York City goes on in, in Ferguson. What goes on in Ferguson goes on in Richmond, California. What goes on in Richmond, California goes on in Colorado. Unarmed black men being lynched. And you're telling me that sexual access is more important? You got to watch these niggas. Now it says here, for this reason, she's not convinced by the group's recent calls to defund police or the Minneapolis City Council's place to do just that. The governments of Ferguson and St. Louis promised all manner of reforms didn't deliver. So if you tell us you want us to vote these do nothing Democrats in, they're not doing anything.
This sister is on cold the way she's talking here. Many that did pass were hopelessly watered down or have since been rolled back. And you hear us see defund the police is just another fundraising tactic. The only electoral solution to the black community's problem is weaponizing our politics, according to the veteran activists. All incumbents have to go. They've had their chance to make a difference and proven themselves unwilling to deliver. And she says it might take one or two election cycles to hold to mold a person into what we need. But right now we're losing anyway, she reasoned. We have to get clean house and get rid of everybody. How can it be worse? I agree. Now, Black Lives Matter recently came under fire for doling out just 6% of its donations to local chapters, chapters over the past three years, with a whopping 83% going to pay consultants and travel costs. What consultants? What are these consultants? Now, the complicated route the money takes from donor to chapter has elicited extensive speculation about the possibility of money laundering and Black Lives Matter representatives have been almost cartoonishly cagey when asked by reporters about their finances. So these Black Lives Matter niggas, these niggas, these representatives in the organization, when the news reporters start asking them questions, like I say, these folks really ain't got no, they got trumped up credentials. They're like Phantom of the Operas. These niggas are like stealthy. They're sea lamprey salamanders that they just pick and choose. They just get some nigga, put them in a, in, in a suit and tell them to talk. They can't even respond to these allegations. Co-founder Alicia Garza denied the group is backed by foundations at all. Even though billionaire currency speculator George Soros alone has given over $33 million to Black Lives Matter. Its founders and associated groups in the Ford Foundation pledged to raise $100 million to the Black Lives Matter affiliated movement for Black Lives Coalition in 2016. Fellow co-founder Patrice Cullors has held up a fact check by the PolitFact, funded by the same old Yard network that funds Black Lives Matter as proof the group is in link with the Democratic Party. So they position themselves as a black activism group overshadowing grassroots campaigners and sucking up of available cash, starving out the competition. In reality, grassroots activists place themselves at significant risk, Uhara says, especially when they start calling out their foundation-funded rivals. Between that risk and the financial incentives to leave the topic alone, most media outlets are unwilling to delve into the deep pocket of networks underlying Black Lives Matter and its ilk. For six years, people like myself have been trying to educate people on what's really happening, and it's a shame it takes RT to tell this story when this should have been on main page news here. Now I'm hoping that it will be. See, you got folks from St. Louis and Ferguson still fighting the good fight. That's exposing these niggas. You dig? Now it says that she believes the phony movement's true nature will be exposed, citing its own inherent discrimination. How does Black Lives Matter get to decide which Black Lives Matter when they purposely omit black straight people and straight black people's men whose death they profit from? So these are black men that are straight that are getting murdered, but then they're going to tell you that black straight men are above liberation. They're holding black women back. This intersectionality bullshit. This intersectionality is toxic and it's poisonous. It's not black empowerment at all. It's all about sexual access. It's all about kissing masses ass. It's all about, you know, it's buck breaking. It's modern day North Carolina rape farm buck breaking. 
I'm going to keep covering this until they ban me. And here's another thing. U.S. Supreme Court rules half of Oklahoma's Native American land. The new black media covered this, so I'm not really going to get into it too much. But you got... I'm looking at the Muskegee Creek Nation, Cherokee Nation, Choctaw Nation, Seminole Nation, Chickasaw Nation. So Choctaw 1, Chickasaw 2, Seminole 3, Creek Nation 4, Cherokee Nation 5. So now, the five civilized, so-called civilized tribes which owned slaves that sided with the Confederacy against foundational black Americans. They're talking about giving Oklahoma and see goes back to the 1866 Indian treaties or the 1863 Indian treaties, the civil rights act, all, all those 1866, all those civil rights and treaties in the 1860s that black folks are supposed to be a part of. So we got a lot of people that's, that's undermining us right now. We got the $5 Indians undermining us. In 2011, I did that report a couple. Remember that episode I talked about how they denied black folks? We have to be honest right now. This is a very truthful time. This is a very truthful time. We don't need no plantation sambo niggas. We don't need no bed winches or no bed bucks talking about, oh, no, we don't need none of that. We don't need none of those type of niggas. I don't want to hear from your clergy. If if these niggas ain't talking about reparations to cutting a check to the former slaves and they ain't talking about a damn thing. Let's talk about the Nick Cannon thing again. How the black Muslims lifted Europe out of the dark ages. Contrary to the racist notion of Africa being primitive and, and you know, not contributing to civilization, it was the Moors who civilized Europe. See, at the height of the Spanish Inquisition 400 years ago, in 1609, King Philip III of Spain essentially led to the ethnic cleansing of Muslims from the European country. Now, in Western narratives, the Moors have been called uncivilized, barbaric and rash. In Shakespeare's Othello, Lago refers to Othello as a Barbary horse and a black ram, associating his blackness to carnality and barbarism. But contrary to the racist notion of Africa being primitive and contributing very little to civilization, it was the black Muslims who invite, who civilized Europe and paved the way to knowledge of civilization. So when they start talking about anti-Semitism and he starts talking about the savagery, when we look at the savagery of the European nations, even look at Rome, they was buck breaking boys, sleeping with boys, all types of shit like that. Like they have a long history of savagery. So, and a lot of white scientists would admit to that. So Nick Cannon wasn't saying any lies. Y'all know about that woman. Y'all watch season three of American Horror Story. That white woman that was doing all those, uh, that LGBT trans stuff. Doing all that, uh, sex changes and cutting skin off of black folks and had that attic full of the torture chamber and all that. Black people don't do that type of shit. According to renowned Singalese historian and anthropologist Cheek Anti-Diop and many others, I hope I'm saying it right, and many others, some of the greatest empires in the world by African empires, 
but the mainstream media continues to deny this fact, shedding very little light on the educational or cultural hubs that these African empires once were. Now, during the formation of, of Europe's first civilization in Greece, it was the black Africans that civilized the Greeks. Later, as Greece handed over the acquired culture to the Romans, who initiated the Dark Ages, the Moors came into the scene and helped restore civilization. You dig? Now, in 711 AD, after the collapse of the Roman Empire, the warring tribes from the Caucasus were coming from Europe while the, while the Moors invaded the Spanish shores, bringing culture to these barbaric tribes. Muslims ruled over Spain, Portugal, southern France, and North Africa. Now, a lot of this cuts off, but basically, they civilized Europe. And when you look at some of this Chinese coronavirus and these bubonic plagues, I'm looking at this bubonic plague in China. They're saying from Algeria, it's not a high risk. The who now who? The Donald J with the toupee defunded. The World Health Organization, which you got to watch what they say. Apparent outbreak of the Black Death in China being well managed and it is not a high risk, says the health body. Says the World Health Organization. I don't believe that. Local authorities in the city of Bayunur in the Chinese region of Inner Mongolia issued a warning on Sunday saying a suspected bubonic plague. We are monitoring the outbreaks in China. We are watching that closely and in partnership with the Chinese authorities and Mongolian authorities, the who now who spokeswoman Margaret Harris told a United Nations press press briefing in Geneva on Tuesday. Geneva. Geneva has a lot of sick shit that they put together. We're looking at the case numbers of China as being well managed. Managed by who? How are they being managed? Managed by what measure? What is the basis of this management? Who's managing it? She says bubonic plague has been with us and it's always with us for centuries. At the moment, we're not considering it high risk. Okay. Now, the bubonic plague, known as the Black Death in the Middle Ages, was a highly infectious and often fatal disease that was spread mostly by rodents. But my question was, if I have my historical facts correct, was the bubonic plague after the Moors civilized Europe or before the Moors civilized Europe? Now, although the plague is rare in China and can be treated, at least five people have died since 2014, according to China's National Health Commission. That's very interesting. The bubonic plague. Here's another article. Now, Bayan Bar is kind of northern China. Beijing's off to the right-hand side. Mongolia is north of China. Here's another article by KWW.com. China confirms case of bubonic plague closes a city in its inner Mongolia region. So if you close the city, then how are you saying it's not high risk? Visitors are not strictly prohibiting from entering an affected area and visiting the surrounding region. The case was discovered in the city of Bayanur, located northwest of Beijing. It was confirmed and officially diagnosed by doctors on Tuesday. Now, Bayanur health authorities are urging people to take extra precautions to minimize the risk of human-to-human -human transmission and to avoid hunting, skinning, or eating animals that can cause infections. So what kind of animals are those? What kind of human-to-human -human transmission do you mean? Did you mean sexual access? Is that what they mean? See, you notice I'm staying in the question mode. 
Bubonic plague causes painful swollen lymph nodes as well as fever, chills, and coughing. Hmm. Very interesting. I, you know, I think that is very, very interesting that you have this going on at this time. And then you also have the coronavirus at the same measure. See, who now who, they really don't want the word to get out all of the stuff that they're doing. And what they want to do is they want to label everybody as conspiracy theorists. That's what they want to do. People that may think outside the box and say, well, you know, I don't trust you bastards. That's what it's about. I think that's very, very interesting here. There was another article that I want to pull up. Let's look into that real quick. Let's look into these other couple articles. Real quick, let's look into these. Now listen to this. Remember earlier I talked about the Confederate flag and I talked about the Confederate soldiers. Now listen to this. This was about a Washington Post and it says, now I'll be damned. This is, listen to this title. They lost the civil war and fled to Brazil. Their descendants refused to take down the Confederate flag. So when you got, I'm telling you, when you got some of these these anti-black immigrants coming into the, coming into America, I'm going to pull up the receipt for this right here. This came out on the 11th. Rio de Janeiro to Marina Lee Calbacini. It was a family tradition. Each spring, she would join the throngs who descended on a nondescript city in southern Brazil, don a 19th century hoop skirt and a square dance to country music. The theme of the annual festival, the Confederate States of America. Now, this is in Brazil, people. This is in Brazil. It's one of history's lesser known episodes. After the Civil War, thousands of defeated Southerners came to Brazil to self-exile in a country that still practiced slavery. For decades, their descendants have thrown a massive party that now attracts thousands of people to the Twin Cities of Americana and Santa Barbara de Ost to celebrate all things Dixie. The Confederate flag? Everywhere. Got a quick question for everybody here on the Bagland Podcast. Why and what does that mean? on flagpoles and knickknacks emblazoned on the dance floor clutched by men and clad in confederate battle gray decorating the grounds of the cemetery that holds the remains of the veterans of the rebel army the immigrants known here as the confederados so what they're telling you people is we are willing to uphold white supremacy down here in brazil we got our ass kicked by the north but that don't matter we're trying to infuse this down here so this gives you an idea when some of these immigrants come up here and feel a certain way about black folks. There you go right here. This is the receipt right here. 
in a country that has long been more preoccupied with class divisions than racism, of course, the Confederate symbol stripped of their American context never registered much notice, but now is the racial reckoning in the United States following the killing of George Floyd inspired a similar reexamination of values in Brazil that has begun to change. Now, what they're trying to say is a country that has long been preoccupied with class divisions more to racism. That's bullshit. They just told you that Confederate soldiers went down to Brazil. These were white supremacists that exiled themselves. Listen to how they're taking both sides of the argument. Neely Fuller told us that the white supremacists take both sides of the argument. They're trying to pivot and go back and forth. Brazilians in recent weeks have demanded the removal of the notorious statue in Sao Paulo of a 17th century settler who enslaved indigenous people. Protests for black equality have rumbled through several cities and an Americana in Santa Barbara to us. I hope I'm saying that right. The cities founded by the Confederates, Brazilians who have never been to the United States are increasingly asking questions piercingly familiar to Americans. Where should the Confederacy be remembered on a flagpole or in a museum? This is in Brazil. These anti-black Latins down there are asking a question here they don't want to let it go and they ain't even from the confederacy so they're telling you that they identify with the white supremacists my mind has been open to the question said Kola Bakshini 35 whose middle name pays homage to confederal general Robert E. Lee she attended the festival for most of her life, but has now stopped going. Despite worrying what her community might think, she has be be begun asking that the flag be taken down. She said it represents my family's traditions, but in the entire world in the United States, they know what it also represents. The debate has simmered for years. On one side is the fraternity of American descendants, the group that throws the annual party, tends to the Confederate cemetery grounds, and promotes a lost cause orthodoxy reminiscent of the most ardent Confederacy apologists. On the other hand is the Black Union for Equality, who has been leading a community charge to strip the festival of the flag considered by many to be a symbol of hate and repression. In what might be the farthest outpost of the American culture wars, a new battle over the Confederate flag is only just beginning. Now listen to this, a mass exodus in search of land and slaves. The newspaper called it Brazilian fever. With the war lost, thousands of Southerners, fearful of living under a Northern rule among freed slaves, were seeking other opportunities. So these white supremacists said, you know what? Let me go down here South. Let me go even Southerner. Let me go even more South because I don't want to I don't want to be around these free Negroes. I used to rule these Negroes. I don't want to be around no free Negroes. So I don't want to be under possible rule. So let me go down here to these other uh, honorary white supremacists down in Brazil. Now, some push for Mexico, others for Venezuela, but Brazil, which wouldn't abolish slavery for another 23 years, proved to be the most attractive of countries. So they went down to Brazil and said, all right, you got niggas to slaves down here. Let me go down here. Do you speak my language? Emperor Don Pedro II, a fierce advocate of the South during the war, tried to induce their immigration, offering free transport, cheap land, and an easy path to citizenship. So Emperor Don Pedro II basically told them white supremacists, hey, come down here, I got you. Doesn't that sound familiar of those race soldiers down in Florida? 
Southerners sailed out from New Orleans, Mobile, Alabama, for Rio de Janeiro. Eventually, between 8,000 to 20,000 immigrated. So when we start talking about black folks getting justice, they're raping and robbing and pillaging and doing the most. And they left and they're probably still raping and robbing and pillaging and, slave and enslaving black folks, even in South America. After they got their ass whooped, move here and buy land, Colonel Charles Gunter urged in a letter to the Charleston Mercury newspaper in 1868. We have a beautiful place for our village in the center of rich land and on a grand river. The same thing they told Europeans when black folks was being enslaved. Come on over here. It's some free land. I'll be damned. Hot damn, hot damn, hot diggity dog. How diggity dog. But historians said one of the central draws was a country where Southerners could freeze time and continue a lifestyle that had been put to a violent end in the United States. See, I didn't even read this damn article before. I summed it up. I'm a fucking visionary. In journals, one bragged about how inexpensive Brazilian slaves were. Another lamented that they couldn't bring recently freed American slaves to Brazil. So one of, look, some of these white supremacists from the Confederacy was pissed off. They was mad like, damn, man, I can't bring no niggas down here. So they was angry they couldn't bring no niggas down here. They wanted to bring recently freed American slaves to Brazil. They were upset that they couldn't kidnap and abduct some black folks and bring them down to Brazil and make them slaves again. They came to continue having slaves, said Luciniana Brito, a historian at the Federal University of Reconavo de Behavia. They associated the existence of slavery in Brazil with the maintenance of system of racial subservience. So you had the system of racism and white supremacy right down in Brazil. And niggas always asking about why, how a lot of those folks from those Latin countries, when they come here, why they feel a certain way about, each, about us. Here's why. Brito and other historians have scoured letters, journal entries, and deeds of sale. One research researcher found that more than three-fourths of Southerners who wrote to the Brazilian government to inquire about immigration were slaveholders. So three-fourths of the Southerners who wrote to the Brazilian government were slaveholders. At least 54 families bought at least 536 slaves upon entering Brazil. So as soon as they got their ass kicked and they came down to Brazil, they bought more slaves. Sally Hemming, can you hear me? Shout out to Thomas Jefferson. They went down to rape. Most slave owners were pedophiles. Let's keep it 100. They went down to rape, pillage, and enslave even more. Using racial epithets, they expressed fears of an African government in Brazil and black rulers in the United States. So they was afraid that black folks was going to get on code and get some game about themselves and get their shit together. They were terrified of that because they wanted to uphold white supremacy. I, that's not me saying that. That's the that's the article. That's the journals. They said it. I'm not saying that. They're saying it. The Confederados pre presented themselves as refugees of a devastated America, said Jordan Brasher, a geographer, a geographer at Columbus State University, who wrote his dissertation on the Confederado communities. As the downtrodden, poor, defeated Confederate soldiers looking to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. 
as the downtrodden poor defeated Confederate soldiers looking to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. So we pull ourselves up from our bootstraps by keeping the boot on enslaved black folk in Latin America. They also brought the ideology of white supremacy and racial terrorism from the United States to Brazil. Now, they did, that was already there. When you look, that's what I'm saying. You got to watch how, the, how they, they take both sides of the argument. You got to watch how this article came about. It already said earlier in the article that they told them, hey, come on down here. We got, we got, hey, we got slaves for sale. So white supremacy was already there. I don't care what complexion of your skin is. Them Latins down there was upholding white supremacy before them crackers got there. Now, in one dark episode, two Confederate immigrants led a mob in the lynching of a police chief who refused to track down escaped slaves in front of his family. The Confederados were also suspected of assassinating a Brazilian senator who supported emancipation. So these honkies, they left, these white supremacists left the South after getting their ass whooped, went down to Brazil led a mob to lynch a police chief who didn't want to track down slaves in front of his family and they assassinated a Brazilian senator who supported constructive help. In 1888, Brazil became the last country in the Americas to abolish, abolish slavery, nearly a quarter century after the United States. But interracial relations in the two countries were different. There were neither draconian racial distinctions in Brazil nor government prohibitions on intermarrying between races. The races mixed, yielding a country, yielding a country of extraordinary diversity. Over time, some confederados adopted new opinions on race. So what they were probably saying is, hey, you know what? We could kind of mix around. We could sleep with some black folks because we've been raping y'all anyway, so it ain't no big deal. So when they say new opinions, don't don't get it fucked up, y'all. Niggas want to play games and act stupid and act dumb. Black, white, white people been raping black people back in the 1800s. They've been doing that left and right. So the, the new opinion on all this racial shit or whatever, they just, they just talk that, that bullshit on the forefront. But they've been sneaking in, raping black women left and right, raping black children, raping black babies. They've been raping left and right. So we need to get that. We need to get that out the way. One of, the, one of the changes most evident in the Confederate rules of my youth was their belief in tolerance amongst the races. Uh, this is more explaining, says Eugene C. Harder, who was raised among the Confederados, wrote in a book about the community. This had acquired from the Brazilians. The Confederados and their descendants assimilated and intermarried. English was largely forgotten. The towns became indistinguishable from their neighbors. One of the few elements to remain was the yearly Confederate party with its pagan tree and its music and its flag. Now listen to this. I didn't want to be black. Claudia Montero, president of the local black union for equality, rarely paid much attention to the party. She spent 40 of her 48 years in Santa Barbara de, de Est, and to her, it was nothing more than a town quirk. Living in Brazil, other racial issues had always seemed more pressing, including those in her own life. Like many Brazilians, she grew up identifying as Morena, one of the many distinctions in the country's racial taxonomy, rather than the dark Negra. Negra, she was led to believe by mass media and even in her own family, was always ugly. Their, their hair was ugly, their form was ugly, I didn't want to be black. So here you got some nigga, some suspected coon-ass nigga that didn't want to be black. 
Not until she saw the work of the photographer Sebastio Salgado did she reassess their belief. In his images, she said, she recognized so much beauty and dignity in the faces of Africa and Brazil that she committed herself to black history and activism. Let's be clear. There's a lot of black folks down in Brazil. That's why they say they didn't want to let slavery go till damn near a quarter century after the so-called slavery in many in in the United States of America. And let's be clear, when niggas in this Juneteenth bullshit, niggas was not free. As I said, in Galveston, niggas ain't get the word till August. So it was not in June. We weren't free. Black folks were still on the plantation in Louisiana. You still had PNX. So, I mean, come on, man. Niggas just love to celebrate. Niggas just love to celebrate anything they can celebrate. That's, that's all that's about. That's all that's about. So... We need to be clear on that. Very clear. So I'm not going to read the rest of the article. Y'all could, y'all could go check that up, but it kind of brings you into this next little thing here before we close out. And it breaks down the race against time, how white fear of genetic annihilation fuels abortion bans. And this is the old article. Actually, it wasn't. No, this came out in um, July 8th. So a recent spate of anti-abortion legislation is rooted in white extension anxiety and carries on the long tradition of white people controlling the lives and reproduction of people of color. Last year, white people constituted 60% of the U.S. population, down from 90% in 1950. It's projected that by 2050, they will be the new, new minority and people of color will be the majority. A nightmarish prediction to some white people. So that's why they turn it up. That's why they white, they're like, okay, we're going to be dinosaurs. We got to uphold this shit. But there you go. Y'all done got some game tonight. I mean, for real. Y'all done got some major, major game tonight. See, the dead black media and the rigor mortis rolling and all them, the continuous neglect news, or should I call, or should I say the Caucasian Nazi network, they're not going to tell you stuff like this. They're going to start talking about sexual access and, oh, intersectionality will save you. If a race soldier blows your brain out, just pull your pants down and show your assets. Maybe you might be able to sleep with them to keep keep you from dying. No, that ain't going to work. Not going to work. Don't even try it. That's what they're but that's what they're trying to tell you by definition. They're trying to tell you that. They don't believe in self-defense. They believe in victimization. You know what I'm saying? Brazil has a lot of anti-black history. We gonna give it to y'all raw. But anyway, I'm gonna go ahead and close it out for tonight. Go support those black-owned businesses. If you're one of these so-called white allies and all that bullshit, then... You need to get down with the reparations plan for black folks, foundational black folks, descendants of slaves. None of this POC minority bullshit. None of that. The descendants of slaves need their reparations. Straight up. I don't give a fuck if y'all ain't tired about, oh, we tired of hearing about it. Well, we tired of getting lynched and not getting no life sentence charges for these race soldiers. Anybody want to get into the information technology game, go to www.beingblackandit.com 
And if you need some disinfectant wipes that are natural, because we know that the COVID-19 is popping up, according to Fauci and the Who Now Who organization, go to www.derxwipes.com. That's www.derxwipes.com. D-E-R-X-Wipes.com. It's a great business. Y'all should check them out. I ordered some of my damn self. Y'all take care now.